Welcome everyone to True Exactly. I'm here with Dan, Eric, and Brian, and we're joined today by our special guest, Vinny Alfano, musician, sound engineer, jack of all trades, really. How you doing, man? I'm good, man. How's everything with you guys? I mean, I'm swell. If you want to do a little round table, Dan, how you doing today? Pretty good. Eric? Couldn't be better right now. All right, Brian. Hell yeah. <laughs> Living the dream. Living the dream in the dark. Just a happy group, <laughs> a happy group around here. Yeah. So, uh, Vinny, we were in contact on Instagram. Uh, you know, we decided to have you on. You seem like an interesting dude. Your music's interesting. So, first, uh, let's get into you. Tell us about you and how you got into everything, man. Um, back when I was 11, I kind of picked up the guitar. And uh, by the time I was 14, I was playing with bands all around New York City, uh, doing session work. And, uh, and then I went from guitar work to a little bit of live sound and started doing some more studio work and uh, worked for Mother West Records for uh, on and off for a couple of years. Went to college at Full Sail University, mm. came back to New York, uh, started working at Jungle City, which is Alicia Keys' studio. So I was there for about two years. And then mm. from there, I started doing more commercial work and then commercial to TV, TV to movie. Um, still always, you know, in the music industry here and there, mixing for, you know, indie labels and indie artists. And uh, now, you know, it's just been like a good time to like put my own stuff out there and my other collaborations with other people and, uh, you know, starting to pick up a little bit, which is good. <laughs> yeah. Why, why the guitar? Was there a reason, like uh, one instrument specifically? Any influences? Um, well, to be honest, my dad used to do a lot of construction work. And one time he was demoing a house and in the basement, there was just a guitar laying around and I just picked it up and was messing around with it. And that's really like kind of how it's all started. Wow. And, uh, and then, yeah, just kind of self-taught. Uh, I had an uncle that taught me a couple of chords and, uh, and yeah, like I said, started playing at like the bitter end, uh, the red lion, you know, kind of all these historic venues around New York city by the time I was like 14, 15. And then eventually, you know, guitar led to like bass you know led to piano led to drums and mm. just kind of float around instruments you know and uh, and got my grounds there how did you how did you end up in this the alicia keys studio like how did uh, you end up working there so right after college i was working for mother west um you know i was working for them before college in high school came back to new york was working for them for a little bit and then just was kind of looking for a spot to you know, take things up a notch mm. and, uh, and just, yeah, went there. I had printed out actually a stack of like 10 resumes and I had like 10 studios in the city. I was like, these are all studios I'd be dreamed to work at. And I just went one-to-one -one and Jungle City was the first one I went to. And I actually met James, who was the manager at the time in the elevator and gave him a resume. And like two months later, I got a call and started working. Wow. There. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. how, how did you think to go there or even like, look out all the other studios because it's not like uh I, I imagine they don't list any of them on like craigslist or indeed uh yeah they definitely when you're in the i would say the music world doesn't really do a lot of posting as far as like you know internships or jobs uh but jungle city had just opened up in around i think it was 2010 2011 and you know they did watch the throne there justin timberlake's 2020 mm -hmm. uh beyonce's album so he had all these huge albums that were coming out of the studio at the time. And uh, I just like, you know, wanted to be a part of it. So, mm. so is it, is it kind of like 
um, a word of mouth type thing because the reason why I ask is in, when was it, like 2007, I went to school in New York for audio engineering. What was and, the school called, Brian? It's probably still there, right? Um, AES or? A, uh, audio yeah. Institute, AI, AINY or yeah. something like that. You know where it is, right? It's right next to NYU. Um, so I went there and I finished the program that they had there, which was like a 12 month thing. And like, I remember speaking to them afterwards and I'm like, all right, you know, so how do you, how do you get jobs? Like where do they list listed anywhere or is it kind of like word of mouth? And they're like, Oh, you can get put on this call list. And then what they'll do is like, if a studio needs like an engineer for a job, it, it could last three weeks. It could last three days. It could be three hours. They'll put a call out and like you pretty much it's first come first serve whoever shows up and being from New Jersey. I mean, if I get a call at 11 o'clock at night, I'm kind of shit out of luck. It's going to take me an hour to get there, you know, and that's it by speed. So I was always that's that's what kind of pushed me away from it. So that's interesting to hear that, like, you kind of just went to these places. Uh, I mean, yeah, it's I definitely am familiar with getting the call at like 3 a.m. Like. Hey, we need you here. I'm like, mm. fuck that. You know, you got to do it. You got to do what you got to do. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, a lot of it was just, you know, I was, I knew where I wanted to work and I was like, I'm going to get there somehow. I'm going to make it happen. And, uh, and then eventually, you know, it does kind of catch up to you where it's like, you know, you can only work 5 a.m. for so long, you know, doing like, you know, crazy 36 hour shifts with like no sleep. Uh, and then at that point is kind of where I transitioned more towards like, doing like music and sound for commercials mm -hmm. when when um dan i'll get to you really quick i got one second uh, one question when you started because like we we rapped brian and i and we like sing our old shit and cringe like you can't even <laughs> can't even fucking listen to it i still won't tell these guys where some of my old stuff is because it's I refuse, automatic so, where it all is all right well, <laughs> brian's, brian's on the payroll so he can't <laughs> anybody so um when did you when you first started um was there someone who you met at one of these studios that you just like absorbed more things to do that made you more polished is there like anyone you credit it to definitely charles newman from mother west you know kind of interning and being his assistant from when i was like 15 16 you know up till i was like 18 and left for college and even going back to work for him you know there was one time where uh, they were doing like a song for a tampon commercial and it was like him, like the music supervisor, producer, and then me in the room. And they were talking and like, oh yeah, you know, it's, it, the track was like, you know, like a pop female type track, singer songwritery. And it was sounded great. But they're like, oh, it's not quite there yet. And they're like listening to it, listening to it. And then they got the idea like, oh, let's just record some bells. And like put this in at the end and they put in like a few small bell hits and like they're so low in the mix but it's like if you the bells weren't there then it wouldn't work for like a tampon commercial mm. but as soon as you put the bells in you're like oh this is definitely gonna sell so you're saying it just flowed yeah <laughs> i'm sorry i had to <laughs> i had to That's great nice. <laughs> thank you <laughs> But I mean, yeah, just kind of like moments like that where, you know, you're just witnessing people, you know, make a song and like, you know, create that aesthetic or that vibe and like, you know, really say what this song is for. Um, and then just also the engineering aspect of it, like he's, 
you know, Mother West has so many great artists on their label and Charles does a great job of mixing and producing them. And so I'm just shadowing him, you know, for the couple of years, you know, early on, it's a huge help. And then, you know, once I got to Jungle, it's definitely a different ball game because you're working with like bigger major label artists, you know, top 40 stuff. And the engineers there were just, you know, they're top notch, you know. Think, Are you uh, scared to give your advice because of that? Is it harder for you to come out and be like, here's what I think we should do because I know, you know, you're working with top 40 and stuff. Is that harder? Uh, definitely at the time it was, you know, if you're, I think the biggest thing working in a studio environment, whether it's like even on the indie level or on the major level. So it's like, if you're going to say something, make sure it's got a lot of validity to it. Mm. Just because you don't want to be in a position where you're not contributing something to the session, even though you think you might be, you know, um, so, I mean, yeah, I'm usually pretty quiet. You know, it, it was one of those things like speak unless spoken to. <laughs> but, you know, now it's like if I'm engineering and I'm doing stuff for like feature films or working with actors, you know, just from doing it so much over the years, you know, you kind of learn how to run a session and deal with these, you know, kind of like A-list talent. So right. how, how much would you say is like more of like the natural gift of like being able to hear something versus that being taught to you? Uh a great question man. i would definitely say it's not a natural gift i mean in some aspects it is but i think a lot of it just comes down to like listening to a lot of music and okay. listening to every genre and seeing what's you know why do these country songs why are they hits like why are these hip-hop songs hits and finding out like what's what do people like and and it's, in a way it's kind of a formula and there's mm -hmm. some math to it um i like to think but a lot of it is just like you know, listening to things and being like, oh, that's great. That's dope. Like, this is not dope. And like learning why it's not great, you know? Yeah. Is, it, is, it, is it a... Go ahead, bro. No, I was going to say, just because we're on it, how true is the uh, thing that all popular songs have the same three chords in them? Oh, it's, I mean, it's 100% true. <laughs> <laughs> I never yeah. heard that. That's something. That's ever heard of that? It's, they no. say it's a really. It's really four chords. Uh, it's like a one, five, uh, six, four chord yeah. progression. Uh, and I mean, yeah. There's so many videos on YouTube of like you know some guy in his bedroom yep. like playing every top forty song for the past twenty years, and they all have the same chords. Yeah, he just uses the same chords, and he runs through the past like twenty years of songs that are major hits, and like he just flawlessly transitions through each one because they all use the same. But again, like you could do that, but you may not necessarily have a hit just because you're yeah, yeah. Yeah. chords. You know, there's tons of songs out there that just have like one chord or two chords or that, you know, they're even just like more melody based or harmony based. So it really just depends on the instrumentation. And the weird, I mean, the great thing about music is that it's so subjective, you know? Yeah. So you yeah. guys could like a song that, like, maybe I don't like or vice versa, or, you know, maybe Dan likes a song that, like, True doesn't like, you know, so. I yeah. hate everything, Vinny. That was going to be my question. Like, how hard is it if you are in your own lane making your own type of music and you say, I like this a lot, but you hear the mainstream garbage, you're like, how am I going to infiltrate that garbage yeah. with what I of what I make I don't think it's a matter of infiltration I think it's more a matter and this is like it goes back to I don't know if you guys are familiar with Tim Ferriss but he's got like this thousand uh fan principle where it's like 
there's so many people in the world. Like, I'm sure you could find a thousand people that will like your song. It's right. just that there's so many people and they're hard to find. Yeah. Um, but I really think there's something to be said about consistency. If you have like an image or again, like a vibe or an aesthetic that you're trying to promote or get out there. Like if you look at people like Royce the Five Nine, I think is a great example of an artist who's just, you know, he knows what he's doing and that's what he does. And he's never really deviated from his lane. That's true. He's yeah. really created like longevity. Um, that's actually a great artist to name because I never thought of that. He never went a different route. He's been yeah, this, like nine, he's been he's been the same since Scary Movies since yeah. that song. He's literally like and it's great. That's actually a great artist as an example. I think he's just gotten better over time. Yeah, he's also amazing too. I mean, that's just that. Yeah, you look at a discography like that, and it's just like nothing but consistency. And yeah. Like, how does the, but again, it's. You know, it definitely is time and just work. Hmm. Uh, you know, is there anyone in? Is there anyone out there that like, in in your field, you just you don't have to say names. You just fucking can't stand. That's just garbage. That you're just like, I can't believe this guy's popular. <laughs> I know. I don't want you to burn any bridges. stirring <laughs> shit. <laughs> you, you can just say yes or no. Don't say their names, but who do you hate? Just you can just say yes or no. So give their initials. So negative <laughs> all the time. Every single thing negative. Uh, I mean, I try to give everyone the benefit of the doubt. You know, sometimes you catch people on a bad day. But to be honest, most I would say like ninety percent of the sessions I've done with kind of like the top tier talent have gone really well or just okay. have been I try to treat every session whether it's like you know I'm working with you know someone who has like no songs out or someone who's you know has a full body workout I try to treat every session the same you know mm-hmm. and it's just a matter of like getting in the room uh you know kind of taking the first 15 minutes to you know like all right what are we doing today like what are we trying to accomplish and then once you get everyone on the same level you know whether it's like you're just working with the talent or maybe there's a producer or maybe, you know, there's like the talent assistant there or a vocal coach, you know, and then maybe you have like three or four executives on the line that are just listening in. So I think as long as you can get everyone on the same page. And again, part of being an engineer is controlling the room and controlling what's going on. Because, mm. you know, if you think about it, it's like your room, this is your space. These people are coming in, uh, make sure they're comfortable, make sure that, you know, everyone's communicating. And just as long as everyone knows what they're there to do and, you know, they're on the same page by getting the job done, it'll, it'll with happen. The, with the infiltrating thing, Brian, I think it was Brian or Eric, like how hard is it to infiltrate your stuff with people you think's bad? Now, when you're in a session and like, let's say the artist goes, I want this in the song and you have to be like, this will sound like shit. No, you don't. How hard is that? Like, cause you know, we have egos as artists, as rappers. And like, there's times like, I'll be like, this sounds good. Right, Brian? And then he'll be like, this is so bad. It's good. Like you said that to me on a recent track. I Literally think. word for word. Yeah. Well, this is so <laughs> bad. It's good. And I was like, I'll take that as a compliment, I guess. <laughs> but like, how hard is it? Cause you have the ear for it more than the artist, more, more times than not. Right. Like as far as if you're sound engineering, knowing what to add and stuff. So how hard is that to tell someone, let's say, rapping that, no, you don't fucking need this? I mean, if I'm ever put in that kind of situation, I always say, let's just record it anyway. All right. Because at that point, you're making them happy. You're satisfying whatever creativity they're trying to express and then put it in the mix or put it in the song. And if it works, 
great. But if it doesn't, you know, then you can at least try to explain to them later on, like why it doesn't work. Or like a lot of times, uh, you know, I have one artist that I work with, you know, we just finished up an album and there were a lot of creative decisions, you know, just being made throughout the course of an album. You know, you got 13 songs. It's a lot of work. And they've often wanted to do things that sometimes I agreed with and sometimes I didn't. And if it wasn't necessarily, if I didn't think it was the best idea, we usually tried to find some middle ground, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and I think, you know, part of it, a large part of it is just communication and just like keeping everything going and just like going for it. Cause you never know, like it might sound like a terrible idea, but maybe like that's the thing that's going to make the song in the end. So I'm always, you know, open for experimentation. Sometimes, you know, I've been in one situation where I did an album with someone and then I was going to do their second album. And the second album was a lot more of a different direction than the first. And, you know, a couple songs in, I was like, listen, I don't think this is, I'm the right person for this mm. just because we kept disagreeing on so many things. Yeah. And that's, you know, kind of how you save relationships because I didn't do their second album, but I did a couple of songs with them, you know, like a year later. Okay. So yeah. Part of it is knowing, you know, when to kind of, I don't want to say adversarial is the right word, but, you know, bring, bring up the discussion of an idea. And sometimes, you know, you, you just got to cut your losses, <laughs> cut, cut your wins, cut your losses. And... So I know this might sound like a dumb like question, but like, what's the difference between, because you've done like jack of all trades with everything, but what's the difference between mixing, sound design, and sound editing? Okay, so... Did you get that question when Google? <laughs> No, well, no, it's, it's on his like website. I'm like, what's the difference between like what like the different things that like he's done like with everything? Vinny, yeah, no, you can answer honestly. Is that a dumb question or no? No, it's not because there you go, Dan. Yeah, I don't know the answer. Not a dumb question. <laughs> it's a lot of things have become gray areas mm -hmm. because of technology and the way that you know it. You know, it's you know it's so much more accessible now. You know, to download Logic yeah. and like load up all these sounds. So sound editing is really goes back to just being, you know, having tape and cutting it because you're editing it, you're cutting, you're moving, you know, maybe you're looping something. So I would define editing as if either you're cutting, chopping up or like using fades, that's editing. Uh, sometimes, you know, again, like volume automation or like levels might be a gray area, but again, I think that's more of a mix thing because mm -hmm. you're mixing the levels. So I would say edit is like the actual chopping. Sound design is really, you would define it as like creation of sounds uh, or like creation of just, you know, a, I guess like a cacophony of sounds, you know, molding all the sounds together to make one new sound or, you know, one new element. So it's like making like the sound of like a velociraptor or whatever, like they like, yeah, like use all those different. Yeah, like that's sound design, yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> a, a door... I wouldn't call that sound design because doors sound like doors, but like boss mm -hmm. raptors, we have no idea what they really sounded like. We're kind of guessing, you know, mm -hmm. or like the science fiction gunshots from like Marvel movies. Like I would call that more sound design than editing. Mm -hmm. And then mixing, mm -hmm. really, you know, you, you're taking all of these elements and making them work together, you know? So like mm -hmm. you're leveling out and EQing, compressing the drums, bass, vocals, guitar, synths, whatever. Um, you know, so that's how I would define it. Okay. Do you do um, any mastering? I don't because I think you should always have a, you know, another set of ears on whatever you're doing. Mm -hmm. uh, 
I send all my mastering to usually Brendan Murawski or Justin Coletti. Um, Justin runs Sonic Scoop, which is a great audio website resource for you know, anyone trying to learn more. Um, but yeah, if I'm mixing, I won't master it unless it's like, you know, a single and maybe they don't necessarily have, you know, the budget for real master. Um, mm -hmm. But definitely any like EP or album, I'll always send to a master engineer just because they're going to level everything out better than I will. Um, mm -hmm. And again, it always, I think it helps to have someone else involved to like, you know, check your work. And then mastering is like just involved with like everything. So basically that's just like a higher level of like mixing or like, once again, I know like Scott and Brian probably like know that as like common sense, but <laughs> no, don't worry. I don't it's think down, it's, it's not really common sense. Yeah, no, it, it's again, it, this is something that because of yeah. technology, a lot of people are just mm -hmm. unsure of right. mastering by definition or like, you know, the textbook you know, idea of it is just taking the, it's quality control. Okay. So down to a mix, you're, you're listening for like pops, clicks, mm -hmm. if there's a noise floor that's, you know, could be detrimental to like how it sounds. And it's really just the two track, you know, I, this is kind of a controversial way to think about it. But like, you know, if you're in a car stereo and like you could turn the bass up or turn the treble up, that's mastering. You're, all you're doing <laughs> is changing the levels of the two track file. And again, you're sequencing the album. You're not really mixing because, you know, you can only do so much to a two track. You can EQ it, compress it, you know, parallel, process it, limit it, clip it. You know, nine times out of 10, I don't think you're going to add reverb. That's going to be done in the mix. Mm -hmm. So you can do the stereo imaging on it. But mastering is really just taking the two track and then polishing it and getting it ready for distribution. Yeah, it's just that final step pretty much. Yeah. Is there um is there a different profession you were gonna go into? Like it just curious because these are I always ask this when we have like musicians on or even actors, you know it's not it's a high risk you know like field to get into because you don't know if it's gonna work. You know you might have parents who are like this shit's stupid or whatnot. Uh, how was that? Were did you have a backup plan or anything? Uh, I kind of didn't really have a backup plan. I mean, I really just went balls to the walls with it. And, you know, again, when I was like 15, 16 years old, I was doing sessions with, you know, all of the top New York session musicians like Delmar Brown, Mark Greenberg, Dave Fields, Brett Bass, uh, like, you know, anyone who was at the bitter end I was playing with, you know, in some capacity. Uh, so I just really went for it. Uh, if I had to do another job, I don't know if you guys know this, but I own a hair salon in Manhattan. I did see that. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> awesome. Eric, you work in New York. You could go get your hair cut. I haven't been there since March, but yeah. I'll, I'll <laughs> Come by, How hang out. Doing now because of COVID, actually. That's a great segue question, Eric. Um, how is it? How is your salon doing since COVID? Uh, you know, the, the city's in a rough place right now just because, of, yeah. you know, I think it was a balloon that was bound to burst at some point. But, you know, we'll get through it. The city's been through, you know, a lot over, you know, the past, you know, however long, you know, Great Depression and, you know, the stock market drop in the 80s and 9-11. So we'll recover. It's just going to be, you know, I think like anything, it takes time. Right, do you think that his hair salon was the one we made you go get a faux hawk at when we were at Down the Hatch? Could be. Yeah. <laughs> I love Down the Hatch. 
Java hatches and glasses. fucking plates. We've probably been there when you were there in the past like five years. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. I wonder if that place is surviving, you know, during all this. I hope so. Yeah, a lot of the bars are it's, it's tough. It's gonna be tough, especially once winter hits. But I mean, who knows? How are, how are you how are you with um getting your stuff out there? Like we we're from an era, we're a little older. We had to like literally burn mixed tapes and walk around with backpacks handing them out. Um so when this digital age hit, we were a little like, Oh my god, what the fuck do we do? And a little shell shocked and we're picking it up now a little better, but how are you with getting your stuff out there, your marketing? Uh, I mean, it needs work. And I think it's tough nowadays because there's so many uh, voices just out there, you know, kind of everyone's yeah. looking for a little bit of the spotlight. And you have, you know, Netflix, Amazon, HBO, the news. So there's all these different, you know, forms of entertainment or distractions that people, everyone, you know, everyone's looking for eyes. Uh, but I do, I actually do remember uh, back in the day when I was like 15, 16, like printing up like tons of CDs and just like selling them at school or like posting up at like the music venue on Long Island and trying to sell them. We did that. Um, nowadays, I think it's just a matter of like, you know, distribution is super important, like using CD Baby or like 1RPM. Uh, and then, you know, nowadays it's a playlist game. Uh, so like getting those Spotify playlist placements, uh, you know, finding people who are, you know, the bloggers that are curating stuff, you know, from like Colt Nation or Pitchfork or wherever billboard and like reaching out. But I think the toughest and most important part is really just building a relationship with someone who can, you know, give you access to those avenues, you know, with those mm. forms of public relations. Uh, cause again, it's just tough to get eyes on things. Right. I think it also speaks to what Eric mentioned earlier, like that, that persistence and that longevity after a while, it'll start to speak for itself. Hmm. Because, you know, some, someone's going to find it, you know? <laughs> well, we had, we had ubiquitous on, um, and we talked about this recently, how tech nine heard of him in 2010 prior 2011 and yeah. like didn't sign him till like 2013 like he he knew about him at a show and and then got his cd a couple years later at a bar and tech was like i remember these people and it almost went to show him maybe wow these motherfuckers are still putting in work two years later now i'll look into him you know it's one thing to just say all right this song's good but how dedicated are you you know, so by just constantly putting shit out there, it really shows your dedication to it. Oh, yeah. And I've definitely seen both sides of the spectrum where like an artist will put out like one song and then they won't do anything for the year. And then they're like, you know, kind of, I guess, upset about not, you know, getting any traction. Where it's like, well, you didn't put out a song in a year. <laughs> you know, you got to be consistent with this stuff, especially now. Like I said, you know, people shows are coming out left and right. Yeah. So, you matter of like constantly or not even constantly but consistently putting out like good work and just building it really i think brick by brick like person by person another great example which i just thought of is i don't know if you guys are familiar with funk volume from back yeah we, we had dj hopper on okay yeah. yeah so like i always thought that they they really did it well is just you know building big on small wins and yeah. just starting out really small and slowly growing and i think 
part of why they collapsed is I think they got too big for what they were trying to achieve. And, you know, there's tons of like blogs and posts about like Hobson and Dizzy and Dame and the complications they had. Mm-hmm. But that model that they had really worked. Yeah. And I think that's part of it also, just like finding out like what works and what doesn't. And if yeah. something works, keep doing it. And then if it doesn't work, don't do something else. Right. Yeah, did I cut you off? I think I cut someone off. No. I'm sorry. Uh, well, my main question is like, with being in like a studio, is it an easy transition or do people do like live shows as well? Or is that two different worlds? I would say it's two different worlds just because when you're in a studio, it's a controlled environment. You mm-hmm. can really, you know, you can say, oh, stop the track or like, mm-hmm. you know, let's try this. If you're doing a live show, you know, all eyes on me. Like it's really the only time you're going to, you know, any mistakes you have to just walk through them and hope that no one notices. Mm-hmm. And as long as you don't make it evident that there was a mistake, then no one will notice. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the shows that I was doing when I was 15, 16, 17 years old were like live improvisational jams. And mm-hmm. basically you would go up there with, you know, you've never met these musicians before in your life, but you'd have to play together for like 15 minutes to a half hour. And you all have to just like, boom, on the spot, we're going to do like, you know, Backdoor Man by The Doors. We're going to do Thrillers Gone by B.B. King. And if you didn't know the chords, like figured it out on the spot. And if someone gave you a solo, like, you know, take the spotlight. So there's definitely a difference. Between, that's like, crazy, man. That's that's impressive shit. <laughs> but at the same time, like that's, you know, being in that environment, you know, if you can do that, you can really, you know, it prepares you for every sort of room for error that you can walk mm. into. Mm. Random question. What was the first song you learned how to play on the guitar? I'm going to go with Oasis Wonderwall. <laughs> No. no ah. I think that was later down the line. Uh, I think it was actually, uh, it's like a blues country song, Fish and Blues by Taj Mahal. Oh, I don't know that I one. Never, I would have never guessed that. <laughs> super old, super old. Yeah. It's like an old country blues song, but it's a good jam. Did you, um, now who did you work with uh, as far as rappers that like blew your mind with their work ethic? Is there any like one particular person? Um, be great if he said it'd be great if you were like no they all suck and then we just ended the show think one. <laughs> uh, we're working with this guy lately uh, Prince Black from Atlanta mm-hmm. uh, actually from New York but he's in Atlanta now and uh, I think like pretty much every month he's been putting out a track and you can see it in like you know his views keep going up and we've had like a little library of tracks that haven't been put out. So he's been definitely killing it and just been getting, you know, he did like a little mini tour before COVID hit and he was going to do South by Southwest, but then COVID hit. Right. Um, he's dope. ASAP Ferg is someone who I've never really worked with, but I've heard stories that he's just like a monster in the studio. Uh, and, you know, it also shows in like the albums he's put out. I mean, it's, it's again, it's one of those this is one of those people where you can just see the consistency in the work ethic, like him, Rocky, Royce. Um, trying to think. I know that if I like, sat down and looked at a list, I could tell you more. Right. Yeah. Off the top of my head. Like now, we could always, out. everyone will throw out the Eminem. Everyone will throw out, you know, the main people. But is there an artist you really, like me, like benefit 
I would love to fucking interview, talk to, or work with. That's someone I grew up loving. Is there like a random person you like looked up to that that's your, wow, I would love to work with him. Like throw aside the obvious ones, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, just thinking now the Mickey Facts collab that I have coming out, mm-hmm. that was definitely cool as shit just because I've been a fan of his since like 10th grade, since like Paradise and taking pictures of girls naked came out. So I'm super excited for that one. That was definitely like a bucket list collaboration. Uh, Joel Ortiz would yeah. be a dope name to work with or hang out with. Um, yeah, I don't know. Nothing's coming to mind. I should have listened to some music. Oh, it's, it's fine, man. I, just, I, love, I love to get some of the questions before, Scott. <laughs> I love to get people's perspectives on like who influenced them and stuff because usually it's never the same people. I always get, we always get like, you know, interesting people. So uh, that's pretty cool. How did you and Mickey Fax happen? Uh, it's just one of those things. I had that kind of vocal chopped up sample for a couple of years now. And uh, once, you know, quarantine hit, it was like, I've got a lot more free time. I might as well like make something of that. And I started putting together the instrumental and I was like workshopping it around to a couple of different rappers. Um, this guy Frazier out in Cali. Uh, I thinking about Jaron Benton, but just wasn't in the cards. Uh, he's another one that's like pretty consistent, I would say, over the years. Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. Yeah. Um, and then uh, Mickey was posting on Twitter, like, hey, doing some features, like got a lot of free time and just, you know, DM'd him there and we were emailing and then, you know, we had a phone call and went over the song and I was like, oh, this is kind of the concept I'm thinking for it. And he was like, oh, cool, we'll do it. And that was it. He just recorded it. And then Alec Burnwright, uh, I kind of worked with him like a couple years ago. Um, he was in a hip hop group that I've been mixing for called Team Scene over the past couple years. But now he's like doing a lot more solo stuff. And he's like another one from Florida. And he's like really starting to get you know, traction around the internet. And I was like, hey, I just did this track with Mickey, like haven't connected with you in a while. I'm trying to put another rapper on it. You know, would you want to do it? He was like, Hell yeah, man. So that's cool, man. Good for you. Good for you, man. I want to get into some the movie stuff because um, you did work in a movie. But before I get into that, I watched recently, and I want to ask you about that. Um, I, I, before I get into that, do you guys have any more music questions? How long did Go ahead. How long did it take Mickey Fax to get back the verse? I think it was like less than a week or I, you know what? It was maybe two weeks because he was having trouble getting in the studio. Cause it was like yeah. when the shutdown happened, mm-hmm. but I think it was about a week. Okay. Not bad. Has yeah. the, uh, has the pandemic made it easier or tougher in your line of work right now? Be- is it more like people are more available? You could kind of get responses from them faster because of all this. And you don't have that pressure of trying to meet up or anything like that. You could just send them something. They could send it back. Is that is it easier or tougher now? It's tougher in the sense that, you know, I used to, I can't really get a space in this room, but, you know, you could fit like a couple of people in here, mm-hmm. um, get that back wall. Uh, so not having, you know, some people are comfortable with meeting up after a certain amount of time and some people aren't. Um, so definitely not being in the room makes things a little more difficult. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, there's some artists I work with where they're basically like, hey, I'm going to be working from home and I've, you know, told them, I was like, all right, if you're going to set up a home studio, like buy this, buy this, buy this, buy this. And then I've set it up with them over Zoom. And now they're cutting their 
you know, overhead because they don't have to go to a studio to record. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's awesome. So, in a sense, it's been kind of cool um, just to be able to, you know, because now they have so much more accessibility for, you know, creativity. They can record whenever they want because they're at home. So mm -hmm. that's been a positive, but again, it's definitely kind of a draw not being in the room with people. Um, yeah. And then in some aspects, you know, there's some people I work with where it seems like because of that, you know, everyone's kind of just like there, <laughs> that the expectations are way higher than they normally would be. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, okay. we send it to you now. Can we have it by the end of the day? And it's like, right. oh, no this is going to take some time. Yeah. I'm at yeah. target, man. I'm busy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. You know, All right. Yeah. Go on. Go on. Buddy. Yeah. I guess it's a double-edged sword at that point. Like, like there are some people we reach out to and like, they don't get back to us. And you know, Brian, I'm like, what the fuck's he doing? I'm like, and Brian's like, I'm, I'm probably a little spoiled actually. <laughs> Everyone to get back to you within a second. But, um, um, all right. The movie, I, I think I'm thinking of ending it, right? That you yeah. worked on. What the fuck happened? Like, <laughs> did, did you watch it? Like you watched it, right? Can yeah. you like, I, I know it's not your place, but like, I just want someone who worked on it a little, who was on the scene. What, like, was it made up? Just, uh, it's based on a book. Right. Uh, fantasy novel which i'm not reading so i need you to explain <laughs> what happened at the end of the movie um i'm gonna send you a youtube explainer that's gonna do a better job than i okay <laughs> but uh, i mean basically you have this guy uh who's you know he's at he's near the end of his life and he's just you know kind of thinking back and creating these memories that never happened you know like this girlfriend right who you know if you listen throughout the movie her name is always changing i didn't uh, pick up on that at all i thought her name was the same the whole time no it changes and then if you look in the credits i think it's just girlfriend is the actual credit on her name oh all right it's one of those movies where if you rewatch it you start to pick up all these different things uh but yeah he's like basically at the end of his life and there's you know this question of uh you know, there's a, it's a lot of questions, but, you know, it's what kind of in a sense, it's like, what is the meaning of life? Like, what are we doing here? Like, you know, what do we deserve? Like, what do, you know, do we deserve anything? Uh, and then it's also the end, which I know is like a big, like shock for a lot of people is a call back to the play Oklahoma. Right. Yeah. Uh, where he's, you know, singing. <laughs> And the storyline in Oklahoma is actually very similar to the storyline in the movie. There's a lot of overlap. Um, but a, a, the large majority of it is this guy who's just like questioning all his life decisions. And he's like, do I deserve the life that I've led? Um, it's, it's really deep. It is. It's a little like too. It's like, all right. Man, like, there's so many layers. Hours. You know, yeah. half hours for that shit. Just have a guy get up on stage and say, my life sucks. And then like, that's it. Five minute movie. That's all it had to be. <laughs> but Snyder gets so you mad. You don't appreciate anything. Like, you're just like, I don't get it. It's dumb. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, it fucking sucks. <laughs> that's true. It's like, uh, so, I don't. 
I don't need a movie to be more than an hour and 40 minutes now. I have I a lot of things, things to do. do. I don't have longer than an hour and 40 minutes to figure this fucking story out. <laughs> I'd rather have someone on. If you have to think time. through it, then you're like, oh, this is, this is a waste of time to think this. <laughs> different names of the track? What was this? So, Vinny, how did you like get like transition from music into... Uh, like featured films and TV and stuff. Is it like a very like tight knit like kind of community, or is it like just, if you just delve into that? So I was while I was working at Jungle City, I started working at this uh, another studio called Plush that did like more TV and commercial work, and then it just became like a transition really, where I was like working at Jungle City every day, and I was like splitting my time between the two studios, and then I was at Plush, and I was there for a couple of years, and then left plush went to uh, another studio i'm at parabolic and i mean yeah it's just kind of it's different in the sense that music kind of has no boundaries you know you can really do whatever you want in a song um but if you're doing working on a commercial like you know there are certain specs you have to meet as far as broadcast levels like it can't be too loud it can't be too low um you're also dealing with a different scale of clients you know where like you're doing a commercial ad you have to probably have like 20 people left to approve everything. Mm. Which is like a long list of approvals. Whereas like, if you're doing the song, it's like, Oh, it's like the artist, the A&R, maybe a producer or two, you know, mm-hmm. are the studios any different or are they like kind of like the same like technology and everything wise? Uh, I mean, all studios, I would say pro studios are running pro tools, but it's definitely mm-hmm. different as far as like the layouts go. Okay. You know? Um, if you're in a music studio, they're probably going to be like a control room. There's going to be like a large console. There's going to be like a booth or like a, you know, recording room. Uh, whereas if you're doing like post-production, there's still going to be a control room, but you're not going to have a console most of the time. Uh, and then the state, there's really called stages instead of rooms because they're so much bigger. You know, usually a stage would be like, uh, I would say like double or maybe triple the size of like the typical music room. Um, because they have to have the giant screen there where like the actors can see their lines and uh, they're just very, very well built. Yeah, the only thing I can think of is like forgetting Sarah Marshall where he's just like smashing through the screen yeah. and stuff. So that's like my only point of reference for it. Yeah. What, uh, what, um, are you on, are you on, are you on set during the movie when you're doing this stuff? Like as the sound engineer, or do they just give you like the final thing that you have to work on? Most of the time, they'll just send me, basically, like, they'll do the production, they'll do the shoot, and then they'll edit it, and then send me the edited video, and then I'll do everything. Uh, Sometimes, you know, it depends, like, smaller indie productions, I'll go to set, or I'll ask about it, just because I want to make sure that they're doing it right, because, Mm. you know, when things may not necessarily have a budget, uh, there's more room for error. So if I can be on set sometimes, you know, it's fun, but sometimes I'm like, I don't want to go there at all. (laughs) Right. So you had to sit through that fucking movie while you were editing it probably 10 times and go back and forth and watch the same (laughs) fucking nonsense each time. I I, I feel like I have to watch this movie now because it's probably not as bad as we're making it out to be. I I worked on the movie for about four months. Oh my God. I'm surprised you didn't fucking. You know, never mind. How do you watch it? Did I watch it? Yeah, I watched it. No, how do you, how do you watch it? What's it on? Netflix. 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 It's probably off right now. It should be after three fucking days. I'm <laughs> oh, sorry. I don't mean to bash a movie you worked oh, on. I, I just wasn't. Was... Again, that's one of those things where it's like, 
you know, the different tastes. You know, there's <laughs> a thousand people that like it and a thousand people that hate it. There's probably a million people. It probably got like a 95% of Rotten Tomatoes, honestly. Mm-hmm. It probably did. A lot of good press, thankfully. Yeah, no, it, it was it – was, you know, I was into it for like an hour and like 20 minutes, and I was like, all right, I'm lost. Like, I, and it was <laughs> – it got a little weird. There was like the car scene for the last 40 minutes and stuff. And I was like, holy shit, like, I don't know what's going on. And I kind of, like, mentally checked that. I'm a simpleton. <laughs> God likes Clueless and Mean Girls. That's, yeah. <laughs> that's his type of movie. The first, I think, hour and ten minutes of that film, they're in the car. Yeah. So, like, a lot of people are just like, what the fuck is going on? You know, there's <laughs> no movie where you're going to be in the same scene for, like, an hour and change. Well, and that's why I'm complimenting you on top of I Look, I didn't enjoy the full film, but, like, that had to be hard to mix with sound because there was so much subtle shit involved. Um, extremely subtle stuff like you had to pay attention to and, and just a lot of background and stuff like that. So that's why I wanted to bring that specific movie up you worked on. I even texted them today, this group. I was like, he worked on a movie I just watched I need to ask about. <laughs> so I was really interested in it. So like, as far as sound, he did a hell of a job, you know? Oh, thanks, man. <laughs> no <problem>. <laughs> <laughs> There's like 20 layers of like different winds in yeah. that, that car scene. And, you know, as they get closer to the house and it goes longer, like the w- layers of winds keep growing and growing. Um, I actually didn't mix. I only did this and goes back to your question about sound design and sound editing. I technically only did the sound editing on that. Um, maybe a little bit of sound design because there are some drones in mixed with the wind that I created. But that's more of like the edit process. And then someone else mixed that film. Okay. All right. I'm I'm done with my movie questions and I feel bad now, Vinny. I'm sorry. No, Trust me, it's all good. <laughs> that was so fun. Did you get any of the same feedback from any of your family and friends when they watched it? Yeah. So like, no, I the wind was, was great, but the movie was garbage. <laughs> I had one friend who was texting me, you know, he was like, Oh, I'm looking for something to watch on Netflix and I was you know, I played dumb and I didn't tell him that I worked on it. I was like, Oh, you should check this out. Then he texts me like later and he's like, this movie was fucking trash. <laughs> it would have been great if he said, the movie was amazing, but whoever did the sound is complete garbage. We don't need that many layers of wind. <laughs> I asked him, I was like, oh, how did it sound? He was like, oh, it sounded fine. <laughs> That's all that matters. Best part of the movie was the, the sound. Okay. <laughs> um, I mean, I'm ready to get into uh, the gun to your head segment. If you guys have any questions. Hey, let's do it. Gun to your head. All right, Vinny. So, um, uh, you watched the Mickey Facts interview we did where we asked them the gun to your head right stuff, right? At the end, just the uh, random questions you have to answer. Yeah. However, we've changed it up a bit. We took it away for a while, but now we're back in business. So, what we do is we're going to each ask you two questions, okay? And you got to pick a winner at the end who had the best question. Don't feel obligated to choose me. Even though I can Venmo you money, but it, it's it's just a matter of your taste, okay? So, uh, Eric, since you weren't on, you know what, Dan, I'm gonna have you get first today. Yeah. <laughs> since Dan. Dan's not right. gonna be here for our paranormal episode, he gets punished by going first. All right. For an hour, would you rather listen to somebody scratching a chalkboard or listen to Scott chewing food for an hour? Scott chewing food. He, he chews with his mouth open. Chewing food. <laughs> okay. Well, 
It's a bad choice. Um, next one, would you rather have your ears scratched off by a raccoon or bit off by a baboon? Bit off by a baboon because it'd be quick and painless. Uh, right. painless. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. All right, I'll go second here. Um, all right. Would you rather play shoots and ladders or just have a camera shoot of just ladders? I think play shoots and ladders. Okay. That's a fun right. game. Yeah, very fun. All right. Would you rather cliff dive every day or for one year change your name to Clifford Dive? Change my name. Really? For a year to Clifford Dive? I mean, I just figure like that's like a really long vacation. Okay. Well, that's a fucking good way to look at it. That's a great porn name, Cliff Dive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Diving into the deep end. <laughs> Eric, Working you're on a stroke. All right. Mine aren't that creative. Uh, lose sense of hearing or lose common sense? It's a good question. It, forever or just? For one year. One year? I'll take losing the hearing for a year just to see what it'd be like. Really? Just yeah. wear, you know, cancel the noise cancellation. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty much it. Okay. Um, would you rather be successful and famous for a year or wealthy for a year? Give me wealthy. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want to be famous. I yeah. gotta say, Brian, you're looking pretty good here. If you yeah, these are these are garbage. This is garbage. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> so would you rather be thrown over a waterfall or suddenly fall every time you see water? Throw me over the waterfall. Okay. Would you rather wear a dress made of duct tape or tape a duck wearing a dress? I'd rather tape the duck. I'm sorry. <laughs> wow. Don't apologize. Yeah, best question. I think Brian won just because he made me really think about them. Yeah, god damn it. Brian's on a roll in this. This is why we got to get rid <laughs> no of him one. again. We can't We can't have him winning every week. Uh, Vinny, uh, plug your stuff. Where can we catch you? Uh, you can catch me on Instagram at Vinny underscore Alfano. Um, you can catch me at vinnyalfano.com if you want to see shit I'm working on. Uh, Twitter at vinnyalfano, and uh, just catch me in the streets. You know, say what's up. <laughs> yeah, definitely. If we ever uh, venture into New York uh, after the, all this bullshit's done, we'll, I'll text you and we'll fucking meet up for a drink or something. At down the hatch. Yeah, at down the hatch. Yeah. Saturdays is, twelve. We have to a reason to go. Saturdays twelve to five, thirty dollars, all you can eat and drink. We'll be there. All about you guys it. ever do uh, the Dr. Pepper shots? No. It sounds yeah, like we, a we have. off the free menu. No. Don't tell me what I've done, Dan. I've never done a Dr. Pepper. Remember when we did that and we did the Turkey Hill one? No, I probably acted like I did that wow. and bought them for you guys and watched you puke. Yeah, Scott does one of these. Yeah, throws them throws them. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Vinny, th yeah, Vinny, thanks a lot for coming on, man. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. Yep. Have a good one. Yep.